Welcome to episode one of Vignettes, the Emerging Writers Festival storytelling podcast. My name is Gria and I'm the program coordinator here at EWF and host of this season of Vignettes. I'm recording today on the unceded sovereign lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations and the live recordings featured in today's episode were also made on Wurundjeri country. EWF pays our respects to Wurundjeri elders past and present and to the elders of all lands that this podcast reaches. So welcome back to Vignettes. Over the next five weeks, we will bring you stories from across the continent. We've reached the last season in Vignettes cycle with spring, summer and autumn already covered. So across the next five weeks, I'll be introducing you to themes inspired by winter. We're beginning with two episodes recorded live at the 2022 Emerging Writers Festival. EWF takes place in June as winter sets in and the theme for the evening was hibernate. For our first episode, we'll be hearing personal essays from Renee Barker-Mulholland and Hayley Singer and poetry from Ursula Robinson-Shaw. So that you can hear the enthusiastic applause with which our readers were met, I'm going to let my past self introduce our first reader. Hi, everyone. Hi everyone, welcome to Late Night Literature at the Emerging Writers Festival. My name is Gria and I'm the program coordinator here at the Emerging Writers Festival. Thanks so much for coming to our first ever live recording of Vignettes, EWF's storytelling podcast. Um, Tonight's readings will make up the first two episodes of the winter season of Vignettes, so it feels appropriate to thank you for braving the cold to come and hear from our five readers tonight, uh, the loose yet wintry theme uh, for tonight's readings is hibernate. Uh, I'm just going to kick off. And so first up, I'm stoked to introduce Renee Barkmore-Holland. Renee is an artist, writer and creator, a proud disabled Birupai Dangadi woman and a staunch feminist who is dedicated to fighting for disability justice. Thank you for coming to listen to me read. Um, A quick background. Um, If I can (laughs) wrangle my words quickly. Uh, My work reflects a lot of my lived experience with uh, disability, mental health. Um, And my reflection on the theme um, came to me on a cold winter morning, so here we go. Am I dead? I can't move my body. Are these thoughts tumbling around my head? Have I carked it? You know, gone? D-E-A-D, dead. One way I check that I'm still kicking is to pause and focus on what I can feel but I can't discern one bit from another, nor recognise what is real. Then I become aware of a heat and some rational thought brings me back. My panicked mind chucks its teetering load before my very last straw snaps. The warmth that defrosts me from my vividly cold dream is my life force, my canyini, burning since my first days. Not boom and bust, but a slow burn, smouldering, one that never burns out, 
or fades away. I recognised my panicked self, my heart thumping hard in my chest, and with deep breaths and some time to reflect, I'm able to identify that mess. It was more than a dream. It was a paralytic nightmare, a hideous nightmare, so nefarious and cruel, powerful enough to convince myself that I'm definitely being lied to. You fucker, you lied to me. You said that we were safe. I picture my brain screaming this as it jumps out my ear and gets in my face. I'm wide awake now and still in bed, just hoping for the winter sun to rise and ignite some crackling flames so this nightmare won't be what one. If I find myself lingering in my thoughts, suspended in nervous contemplation, I reach out for that generous warmth to ease my mind's anticipation. This warming fire that grows from love, me being on country with mob. These people, places, dreams and stories, living neither below or above. The stories and energy I'm composed of are not lateral former. Each return with the roundness of time and each time cold things get warmer. When I, skate, when I face scary things that I'm still tied to, I battle to keep that fire going. It takes so much not to relent when I can feel myself slowing. Until the flame melts the cold and the love comes freely, where it's comforting and bold. These safe spaces that support me throughout inevitable circles of mind I have learnt to cultivate and share with others, with my fellow Crips, my kind. And I didn't really know what to call it before I came across the work of Sins, Sins Invalid, Shader Kafai, and the book called Crip Kinship. Shader talks of dreaming and how we use it to manifest a world where every one of us, us Crips, us Blacks, us with madness, we can manifest a world where all body minds are embraced in accessible revolutionary love, a world where everybody has a place. Revolutionary love and dreaming keeps me warm through change and harsh seasons. My protective layers weather the storm. Dreamers give me something to believe in. Those times when I was hurt unprotected, my fire was low on fuel. I learnt the lesson again and again that cold times can be nasty and cruel. Remembering how to keep warm has taken patience and a lot of time. Now I've learnt to hibernate, to protect myself, to dig below the frost line. And in the days to come when I awaken with a jolt, unsure if I'm alive or dead, the warmth that helps me to re-emerge will burn brighter and hotter and red. Thank you. Thank you so much, Renee. So next we're going to hear from Ursula Robinson-Shaw. Ursula is a writer living in Nam. Her work has appeared in Overland, Cordite, Sydney Review of Books, Best of Australian Poems, Best New Zealand Poems and elsewhere. And she's the co-director, a co-director of Sick Leave. Hi. 
Um, these poems are hibernation-themed in the limited sense that I wrote them in lockdown um, on unceded Wurundjeri land in my fucking apartment, which I was not allowed to leave. Um, I'm going to start with a poem called All is Good in the Pig. When the sky rose, big and gold, the first day, unbelievable, God said, all is good in the pig, and there I was, desire, wet as a whistle. To whom do the spoils go? Dead mammon, collarbones, ceramic leopard, cattle, banker's lamp. To whom the spoils? I screamed to my career girls. Cast to the top of a pile of pearls, they, wa they wake and want for nothing. The wheel of time goes soft, doom say the anchors, what left to do but decorate the clouds. I scream to my career girls, let's have a worm farm or a baby. We are just dumb enough to make of this life what we have extracted, culture, climate, cocktails. They want the same things they always did. Girls, I am the last to die, spilling out of the jaws, ringing in the ears. Don't mind that, the angel's tone, the swing of the two-handed sword resounding. Figs, husk cherries, lemon, levitations of the evening, beautiful, luminous skin. Nobody to bother you, not even with praise, not even to ask you to leave. Girls, what wicked sign crackles across the surface of the seas? You will be fine, of course, career girls. You have made it cosy here. Call on your saints, girls. Pray for a little walk-up apartment. Keep faith. Hope is the thing with credenzas, three breeds of crawling vine, the thing with beer money, glassware, burning wings. My beautiful girls, my piggies, I have seen things, nothing special. The things of undergrounds, boutiques, some nights of love, of course the moon. Lusts like the colors in the air, the song of bare feet on the carpet. The eyes of men, chicken, green olives, double handling in the feminized labor market, moral confusion, sex roles. I have left a trail mix of pistachios like butter. Girls, looking at your phone, so medicine is poison, so the water and the air and the fruit are poison, what of it? Tomorrow the struggle, but today the jam. Ask yourself, how should I, only small, go against the heavens, shoulder burdens, take my finger out of a pie? Ah, yes, baby ducks, between goats, peonies, country road, brand new Prius, $800 rattan chair, there are glottal threads stringing up the one to the other. I know, it looks like danger, all the black tape, like a costume, a cold case, but horror is frivolous, I read that somewhere. Girls, my gain is not your gain, but your loss is my loss. Evil keeps the same pace. Look upon my living room pastoral. Look upon my brilliant dress. Look upon my shining eye. Say yes. This one is called Paranoid Fantasy. I want to suck your eye out, I say. You say, please do not. But I can do it any way you like. Hammer, pitcher, kitchen knife. What is love if not the execution of metaphors? And as always, I will do a clean job. You say, let's go for a walk, like you don't get it. 
In all the timelines where I have a backbone, I take my fulfilled body to a new form, offer what I have to you or some disciplined other. In those times, I really mean it. Sex is a micropayment off a loan of indifference. Clothes ripple with hostile potential. The mind shivers, molders, falls in, grows back, ringing like death metal in a cave. Analysts study artists like children watch movies to get horny and learn how to talk. It can't all be cocaine, you say, but I don't see why not. I call my psychiatrist so he can tell me I'm pretty. Good luck excluding me from the community of reason, my charismatic landscape of reality controls, a prime example of what not to do professionally at the pub. The worse I feel, the more godlike. I am downtrodden and female, but I was your husband in a past life. Statistically, this is dangerous news. Couples scream outside our house. There's something about it. It's so realistic. Love is a new way to talk about yourself, and then it's not. It sucks and blows with the wind. The plumbing sours. The bliss goes out. The air wears down again. In the mood for an aggressive drive, I say for the fifth time, style is just repetition, don't I know it? Standing there with a drink in my hand. In my office, it is always 3 a.m. and a crisis, skinning traumas for luxury boots, smiling like new leather at my own devices, condemning sincerity. Yes, I am afraid of feeling. I am only brave about desire. I try to describe what I have witnessed and find it is too late to fail better. Here I am in my individual personality, a completely imaginary and self-contained problem rotating helplessly. The thing is, I'd rather be devastated than bleaked out. I face God like a flower seeks the sun. My throat boils, I tell myself you have committed no crime. And if I have, I'm resolving a set of contradictions and I deserve to be rewarded for the work I've done. This one is called Doing Meth with Luara. <laughs> General prologue, brain dump, every month is cruel. Bathing in a drought, in a tank, it's the season and it's warm. We are waking up startled at the waste of our spirits. I'm sad to say, our hands shaking. I don't think it's a problem, or is it nature? Only middle bar critics make a fuss over addiction, battery hens, petrochemicals, heavy metals, the thrum of panic undercut by the thought of gleaming kitchens, our adult lives, what the decadence died of, or was it for? Carried off in any case, fearless as a box of wine, cruel to themselves, real villains of taste. Come, baby, I'll read your fortune. Such pleasure in confirming what little is known, though we can only guess and your guess is better. Or that depends, were you at the pub last night or in a bathroom with your friends or on some premier poet's carpet, howling, oh no, I can't be trusted, I have no motives. The figure crouched inside is but a trick of the light. 
Nobody asks. Things matter less now than ever, and so the more. Lou says despite their hard work and commitment, she can't trust them. Bon vivants, 2.5 kids and garden plots, cheese and wine, those verso sale motherfuckers. Might be small differences in narcissism thereof to say the mortgage class should not be garbed in the aesthetics of revolution. But, she says, when we cannot help but build our lives around this want, what plain idea is so beautiful it can't be resisted, and pain is so easily forgot, and how good is your money if nobody wants you dead, nobody comes, but we do, we come. We come for bread, we stay for roses, we get rooted. I am having dreams again, we get up, we do the work but not the way we want. Isn't it funny? I'm pretty sure it's not meth, but there's only one way to find out. Thanks. Thank you so much, Ursula. So next up, we're going to be hearing from Haley Singer. Haley writes essays about literature and ecologies, queer embodiment and activism, multi-species justices and injustices, and on reading and writing as worlds end and begin again. Her writing has been published in Sydney Review of Books, The Lifted Brow, The Monthly, Cordite Poetry Review and Writing from Below. And her first book, Abandon Every Hope Who Enters Here, is forthcoming with Upswell in 2023. Please welcome Haley. Thanks so much, Gria. Um, I've driven up from the lands of the Yalik Bullock people, Bunurong country, and I want to pay my deep respects to the traditional custodians of that place, as well as the custodians of this beautiful place, Nam. I also want to pay my respects to First Nations people here today. This feels like a real handbrake turn from the beautiful reading that we just had. Um, this extract comes from a longer work about growing up, finding and losing identity and love in queerphobic times and places. In an archive of feeling, queer theorist Anne Tvetkovich writes that for queer people, and not only for queer people, but in this context that she's writing in, for queer people, sites of desire can also be sites of trauma. Trauma in a world historical sense, but also as connected to everyday textures that might go unvoiced, that are seen as not catastrophic or are simply not seen. So this essay and this extract is about both, and I promise you, Gria, I get to the theme of hibernation <laughs> at the end. Can you hear me? Yes. Awesome. That was a beautiful response. Thank you. Okay. So this is from a longer, a longer work. I did not know what would change for me when I saw the film Boys Don't Cry, but this is what happened. Time slowed down relative to the world outside. It's the year 2000 and my mum runs a small video hire business. We have a hundred videos at home, maybe more, new ones coming in, going out all the time. We live in a not quite suburb of the Gold Coast's hinterland, Acreage. Our street is a cul-de-sac and we share in it with a country music singer, a man who tends his modest marijuana plantation and a kid who keeps trying to set her house on fire. I want someone to show up and tell me I've lost something or that I could find something. I watch it on VHS. 
Hilary Swank as Brandon Tina meets Chloe Sauvigny as Lana Tisdell. They're in a bar, a neon-lit bar called Oasis. Lana sees Brandon and asks, who are you? And opens her eyes wide to look tough. And this is how Brandon first sees Lana's blue eyes. This is how Lana first sees Brandon's brown hair, brown eyes, Brandon's unblinking eyes, Brandon's lips, Brandon's jawline. Brandon swallows, who are you? Who are you? Lana is heading for the stage to sing a country ballad, The Bluest Eyes in Texas, with two of her friends, Candace and the one whose name I can never remember. The sonic ge geography of this moment. Leonard Skinner's Tuesday's Gone hits the air with electric guitars, thick and ambient. Everything in my suddenly unquiet body reverberates, distorts. The sound feels unmistakably Midwestern, though I have never been to the American Midwest. What I hear are sounds of isolation and hard luck, sounds of coal trains, empty diners, tyre yards, water towers, outlaw sounds, sounds that are proud to walk alone so that they are probably a lie, a romantic lie about life in a rural Midwestern town. There's love, longing, loss and a confession of one's inability or refusal to change, layering up in the lyrics, Lord, I can't change, Lord, I can't change, Lord, I can't change. In country music, people are finding and losing Losing sanity, losing love, losing out to the law, losing to drink, losing themselves to dust, getting swept up by the wind, hopping on trains and never looking back. You might be beat, but you'll never be broken. This is a fantasy of country songs, but people who get beat, really beat, repeatedly beat, can get broken. In this early part of the movie, no one has been shattered. Brandon and Lana are just starting. I want to pause, rewind, to intrude. No, not intrude. I want something kinder. I want to orbit, to be enfolded in Brandon's gaze. I want to live off the sugar of his looks, this world, the speeding cars, racing hearts, dust clouds, caravan parks, beer, people watching TV on the couch, just like me. I believed I was seeing my own past life. My body contained residues of these scenes, the Nebraskan textiles, the frizzed and crusty hair, the plaid shirts, ripped denim, the disco ball at the skating rink. I understood how these people were trying to love or I thought I understood how these people were trying for love, love so impermanent it could dissolve in water. Loss of love is what this is actually about. Back then, I was in love with the idea of love. I was with these people as they sang karaoke, as they couch surfed, lied, got jealous, made out and fought, wandered off or ran away. They ran from home even when they were entirely shoeless, even when it was entirely midwinter in the Great Plains, when the cold, dry air comes down from Canada, where the temperature of the soil drops rapidly. Brandon... Lana, their friends, ran from caravans or institutions or cars, but they were always shot back to the trailer parks of their childhoods, back to the homes of their parents or their girlfriends or nearby. So I watched the film, feeling I had shared in all of this before, 
First there was Brandon, then his love, his love of love, then my love of Brandon, his desire to make a family, get and hold a life together. Love was cleaning a house, making breakfast, kissing, roses, love poems and pizzas, and my corporeal body leaned towards the phantom of his. His death came suddenly. He was 21. It was New Year's Day. Here's what happened. Two men assaulted Brandon on Christmas Eve 1993 and no one arrested them. The two men had heard rumours and wanted to know if Brandon was biologically male or female. They locked Brandon in a bathroom and demanded to know. And once they knew, they drove Brandon to the outskirts of town and in the morning, Brandon gave a statement to police. The police wanted to know how come Brandon was running around like a guy, making girls think he was a guy. Brandon wanted to know why he should answer any of these questions. In the early hours of New Year's Day 1994, those same two men who assaulted Brandon executed Brandon and his two friends in a farmhouse in a town called Humboldt. And decades later, Jack Halverston would write that this execution was more like an earthquake than an individual event. Its eruption damaged more than just the three who died and the two who killed. When the poet Kwame Dawes looked up at the Nebraskan sky and wrote that in winter it appeared to have been battered with aches, he joined other writers who saw places where violence felt natural, as if violence erupted from the soil that had been farmed to extinction and was plagued with bankruptcy, as if certain places, their people are just somehow always downwind of disaster. Humboldt is an hour and a half drive south from where Brandon was born and less than 30 minutes from Falls City where he met the men who killed him. Between Falls City and Humboldt is a town called Salem. There are 22 places in America called Salem, a word that originally derived from the Hebrew shalem, meaning peace. After the real Brandon was murdered, the real Lana Tisdale made a collage of photos of Brandon's face. She cut the letters of his names out of pizza boxes, coloured them in red and purple. When Swank received an Oscar for her portrayal of Brandon saying, I want to thank Brandon Tina for being such an inspiration to us all, the real Brandon's mum was still paying off her son's funeral. I don't know where my mum, my sister, the cats or our dog were when I watched this film at the beginning of a new millennium. But when the players spat that video out, I felt empty. All I knew was this film, its languages and its wake. I wanted to start again. I thought if I kept the film on loop, I could make a space-time machine out of the cassette's magnetic tape. Time would twist, the ground would bend, the world would be handed back, could be handed back to Brandon newly, differently, safely. And I could live in that world too, soul-wise, leave my body where it was at home, on the couch, go into a kind of dormancy, until the conditions of the world were right for us. Thank you. Thank you so much, Haley, and thanks again to Ursula and Renee for reading at the first ever live recording of Vignettes. Thanks also to you for listening to Vignettes this week, and please join me next week to hear Luke Patterson and Polly Sara's reading from this same night. 
and over the next few weeks to hear more readings from emerging writers. Vignettes is produced by me, Bria Clemens, and audio produced by Joe Buchan. Our theme music is by Two Care. To find out more about the artists featured in today's episode, as well as the team behind Vignettes, you can go to emergingwritersfestival.org.au. 